Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6. It's your next jazz game. Level 6 has free pop shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. DJ and PK, it is time now to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. Riley joins us right now. On the Smart Rain guest line, Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. Riley, good morning. Good morning, guys. What's going on? Broncos coming back. The Bruins are coming to town. And what for them is an elimination game? It's a big night of college football Saturday. Yeah, I'm 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 actually really excited about football this weekend. Oh, good! <laughs> Thanks, Riley. Have a good day. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. I was I was kind of organizing my next thought. Uh, look, I think that Bronco coming back to town is it's a real beginning dynamic. Uh, there there were people that love Bronco. There were people that didn't like Bronco, both inside and outside the program. But I think, I think what we've known for a long time is that Bronco is a very good coach, and and the reason why I think Bronco is a fantastic coach is because expectations for his players are always very, very clear. Now you may love it, you may hate it, you may hate a quest for perfection uh, type T-shirt or some sort of like mantra that is offensive to another team or even even inside you may not like the way that he presents it but there is not one player that played for Bronco and I Bronco was my defensive coordinator when I was when I was playing at Snow College that's how that's how far back that's how old I am now right and he he's just very clear about what it takes to play for him what it takes to to succeed and all those sorts of things, and he's a little stoic in nature. I mean, we did a we did a skit when I was a freshman in college. I was scared to death because all the guys were making me do, you know, an impersonation of Bronco, and he used to wear his Oregon State cleats with his number, and I got the coaches to steal his cleats out of his locker and let me wear it. And, so, and man, I was so nervous about kind of poking fun at Coach Bronco, and he came out. He came out at the end, and he just had like a little smile, just a little tiny smile, and he goes, "Well done, Jensen. Well done." And and that's about all you get out of Bronco, right? Like, that's about all you get out of him, you know. And it, and it, and it was, uh, but but man, the, you talk to a player that played for him, and there's this there's this deep level of respect for him, and I and I anticipate that this is going to be, um. Oh, a hard-fought game because you know Kalani wants to win this game and you know Bronco wants to win this game. And so it's going to be very, very interesting. Doesn't BYU have to just pulverize these guys so it sends a message to LDS kids? Don't go across the country. Stay right here. <laughs> I mean, I I think in some ways we, we overrate like wins and losses as to whether – you know, whether somebody's going to go to a school or not. I mean, every kid has to decide whether it's a good fit. Most LDS kids, if they, if, if they're really wanting that, that BYU experience, they can't, they can't get that BYU experience at Virginia. But if it's a really, really smart 
good football player who's who's maybe not all just not not that he's not all in on the religion, but he feels like he's religious and that he can get everything that he wants at both schools. That's that's the player that you have to worry about. But I think you bring up the word pulverize, and as I've been looking through the stats a little bit, one of the things that stands out to me in this game, and I think you'll see this develop during the game, is that BYU has to run the football very, very effectively, and they have to keep this offense for Virginia off the field. Virginia's offense is rated fourth in the country. BYU's defense is 72nd. But I think the one that's the most – I think the the statistic that I'm most interested in is is BYU's defense is 113th in the country in third-down defense. And Virginia's offense is 15th in the country in third-down offense, meaning – Getting off the field for BYU is a huge deal against this offense. And, man, that statistic right there just makes me really nervous for BYU. And then you've got, you know, you've got this quarterback that threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns, then he ran for two touchdowns last week. I mean, this is, this is it has to be easily the most high-powered offense that Broncos ever had. So is BYU secondary up to the test? Is it even fair to put it on the secondary? Are they going to be dropping eight and trying to clog the lanes? And and uh, Dylan Cauley was explaining to us how that confuses receivers as they try to decide which route they're supposed to be running on a given play because they usually have a couple options. So how, how does BYU slow down this passing attack? Well, so this is – this is my theory on, on defensive backs, and I've thought this for a long time. And if you, you think about the University of Utah and all the great defensive lines. Yeah, you think about that, PK. I am. Think about that while Yacht calls Riley back. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and what have you come up with so far? I'm still in the process of thinking. So I haven't reached a conclusion. I, I don't know how I feel about this particular game. I can look at the stats, yeah, but I don't know what is true in this particular game. I know the stats as they related to the other games. What does that mean this game? Not sure yet. Well, Riley, we've been thinking about it. You ordered us to think about it, and then you went away. <laughs> I, I actually just lost my train of thought. What did, I, what, what did I say that threw me off? Why did you get hang up on me? I don't even know what's going on here. Totally confused. You going Scott Gerard on us? <laughs> I, I I seriously did. I lost my turn of thought. Oh, I thought you were just. I thought you were screwing around with us. I asked no, you about no. the the BYU secondary. Can they handle this? Is it even fair oh, to yeah. put on the secondary because are they going to be dropping eight? Got it. So my my theory on on defensive backs and slowing people down. If you if you think about the University of Utah in the past, you think about the different things that go on with 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 defense. When you have a great defensive line, you produce great defensive backs. Defensive backs make all kinds of plays when you have a great defensive line. Um, and and the, the point that I would make that, that even proves it even further is I, there was a few defensive backs that played with me at Utah State University that I thought were great defensive backs. They didn't put up great stats. And then they went on into the NFL and played great football for seven, ten years. And I think the biggest difference is when a defensive line can put pressure on a quarterback or when a defensive line can 
can fluster a quarterback a little bit by only rushing four or only rushing three, and then then DBs can make plays. Nobody, I don't care who you are, I don't even think Deion Sanders could have done that. Well, maybe Deion Sanders, but throw everybody else out. But nobody can cover a guy for six, seven seconds downfield. Nobody can do that. It's just, it's not even possible. And so to me, there has to be some sort of hesitation created for this quarterback or some sort of, of like, man, I'm not sure if I should throw this ball. And whether that's, I mean, I kind of feel like BYU's defense has been big into rushing three and dropping eight, but I think they've got to mix it up a little. They've got to bring some different pressures. They've got to do some different man-on-man schemes. They've got to do some things to kind of mix up this quarterback because if you don't, he's just going to sit back there and throw for 404 touchdowns and that, to me, that does not bode well for BYU. And I'm, I'm really surprised that because if you look at Virginia's stats, they're throwing for 400, but they're, just, they're rushing for just over 100 a game. I'm surprised that their third down efficiency is so high. That means that they're doing really, really good high percentage passing on first and second down. And that, that's, how you, that's how you get them off the field is you've got to make good plays on first and second down and not, not hang everything on third down. So you have two guys who have BYU experience coaching there. One's coaching now, one coached before. And their styles are a little bit different. As you said, Bronco doesn't necessarily is a warm, fuzzy guy. Where Kalani will just hug you and practically uh, you know, kiss you on the lips as far as that goes. I mean, he's so warm and receptive and open. What does a player look for in a head coach when it comes to that stuff? Well, I think I think when you're young, this, this is interesting because I've kind of evolved on my thinking on this. I know when I was young, I loved a player's coach, right? Like I had a I had a coach by the name of, of Coach Mike Canales. Some people call him Chico. I mean, he was what I would call a player's coach. I mean, he was always celebrating your wins. When you made a good play in practice, there was a high five and a butt slap. And it just really, like, it, it, it felt like it energized me. And then my next offensive coordinator was a guy by the name of Ed Larson, who's the head coach at Lehigh. And, dude, I had to fight for a compliment from that dude when I was playing. And now now I'm really tight with him now, and, and we're really good friends now. But when I was playing for him, it was like I was fighting for my dad's approval. Like, you can't believe. Like, it was like if I got a compliment, I could have ran on that for four months from him. And there was a couple times where he called me out in front of the team. But my best season was under Ed Larson, and it, and it wasn't even close compared to – and, and I had Bobby Petrino as a coach. He wasn't necessarily a player's coach. He was, he was really hard on me. And then I had Dave Arslanian, who was a player's coach. What I would say is the common denominator or, or, or the thing that I think is most, most important is the great ones want to be coached. The great ones want to, they want to know that not only do, do, do you respect my game, but you are going to push me as far as I can go. Because when I look back on my career, my best seasons were with coaches that, were, that, that weren't necessarily my best friend and they weren't necessarily players coaches. But, man, I think they showed me love in a different way. They showed me love in a way that they believed in me and they kept pushing me and kept pushing me and kept pushing me. And I think... A lot of those guys that played for Bronco, they really loved, loved him because he pushed them, right? 
Now, it doesn't mean that if you're a player's coach that you can't be somebody that pushes, but you can't be the guy. You know, sometimes players coach get mixed gets mixed up with um, kind of these coaches that move the goalposts on you. They're like, well, no, you're doing great, man. We love you, but you never play, right? And so they never give you real feedback. They never give you real stuff. And so if you're going to be a player's coach or if you're going to be a hard-nosed coach, I don't care which one it is, as long as you're consistent in your message and as long as you're truthful in what you're trying to tell the player so that he can get on the field. you got to tell guys the truth. If you don't tell them the truth, that becomes really, really hard. When you know, It's like Charlie Brown when – can't remember is it Lucy that moves the ball out yeah. when he tries to kick it right yeah. there's coaches like that there's coaches that are like no everything's good everything's good well, and then all of a sudden you're falling on your back and you're going wait I thought you told me if I did this I would play right and so that's something that coaches learn over the years it's something that players learn over the years and I think I think you can do both styles as long as there's truth underlying both of those is UCLA going to run through Utah the way Oregon State did? Yeah, I, I, the, the Oregon State game was really fascinating for me to watch because that's, that was an impressive run game from Oregon State. Now, I don't, their passing game was nice and complimentary, but I, I don't think I've seen anybody run the ball like that in the Pac-12 since Utah's been in the Pac-12. Like, that that was impressive, like, hard-nosed, like, just just knock-your-teeth-out type offensive football. And I just have a hard time believing that UCLA's the same way. Now, UCLA, I thought, when I, and really my reference is the LSU game, which is not that impressive of a win now, but they are much more physical than they they have been in the past. I think there's a level of physicality that's better, but they run a little bit different running scheme than than what Oregon State does. And I think the running scheme that that Oregon State State runs is more difficult for the U than the running game that that UCLA will use. And so I kind of feel like they're not going to be able to run through the Utes like Oregon State did. I think. I think you're talking about a really, really tough ball game. I don't know if their quarterback's going to play, and I think that makes a difference because I think even though his stats aren't, like, spectacular, he's, like, 50 or 60 yards running and 250 yards passing. It's still 300 yards of total offense, right? It, it, I think this is a game that the Utes win, but it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be a dogfight. How do you explain them stumbling inside the five-yard line multiple times? Shouldn't you know you got something that you can count on? Yeah, I, I I'll tell you what I'll tell you what's interesting about Kyle this year is, and he said he hasn't said it outright. I've listened to a couple of his interviews, but he's buying into some of this analytics, right? And he's he's definitely gone for it on fourth down more than I've ever seen him. Uh, at least that I can remember, and I, I love it slash hate it, right? Like, and 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 he's even said like, look, we're we're looking at the analytics. Now, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not all about analytics, but I I felt like he's been much more aggressive. My question would be, and I don't know what's going on in the background, but uh, I think uh, Coach Ludwig has got to have this figured out now that that 
Coach Winningham is being more aggressive so that he does have a signature play or he does have some sort of like mindset as they get inside the five or inside the 10-yard line that he's probably got four downs. Um, and so I, I think they've got to get a little bit more of an identity in the red zone there. But what I will say is it may have been in the past that he, he'd been so used to the conservative nature of not going that he was like, okay, well, we'll play for a field goal here. And, you know, you know I felt like you can't say that, that Utah left 21 points on the board because you don't always get touchdowns when you're doing things. But if you kick field goals, they missed one, and then they had two opportunities on fourth downs. I mean, nine points is, is a big deal in that game. And I don't know what the answer is because I, I get nervous about tempting the football gods. If you don't take an easy three points, they're not going to give you seven points when you need it. And that, it just makes me nervous. But the analytics is telling everybody to go for it on fourth down. I mean, Kalani's more aggressive. You know, Coach, you know, uh, Coach Winningham's more aggressive. I feel like Utah State's been aggressive. Somehow there's an analytic out there that says go for it on fourth down. And I, I think that's the way of the future, I guess. But Man, it feels like they left some points on the board. More likely to win their division, the Utes or the Aggies? The Aggies. The Aggies, man. They got a way easier schedule. I mean, dude, you, you, you get a little bit of football luck. I mean, they, they probably they probably could have lost that game on Friday night. Colorado State gets, you know, they, they get all confused going in for their, their last second kick, and they, they miss wide left. Utah State gets a, a big win. They're five and two, and I—I I mean, I feel like their schedule lightens up considerably right now. And man, I mean, I've even heard. And, and so this isn't a criticism of of Coach Anderson because I've heard him say it. He he didn't say it in these words, but it's been a little bit of smoke and mirrors this year for Utah State. I mean, they're not real deep at the D line. They're not deep at linebacker. They've been doing enough to slow teams down. They've been putting up. They've been putting up points in an exciting brand of football. I'm, I'm way excited right now about Utah State football, and I know it's not. You know, it's not like. I mean, I don't think there's any chance that they win the Mountain West Conference against San Diego State or Fresno, but they have a real good chance to be in that game right now, and it's just, it's a real compliment to this, this coaching staff. They've done a great job. It's an exciting brand of football. I really like watching it. There's local players. There's snow college players. There's out-of-state players. It's just a really good mix of people. And then, you know, I, it's really fun to watch them either on TV or in person and just see how, how great that student section is and how fun it is to be a, a Utah State fan and, and watch that kind of environment go on. Riley, as always, we appreciate it. We will talk to you again next week. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Joe Ingles is coming up next right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. Utah needs to be able to get two yards on a fourth down when they're behind. I'm not throwing Andy Ludwig under the bus for the fourth down play. I just think that there could have been more running the stinking football. They ran the ball on first down, did not on second, third, and fourth. I'm sure that these coaching staffs get sick of hearing the second guessing. In, the, in their mind, they're like, fine, you come in and call but it. But Kyle's second guessing. It'd be tough, which is easy for him to do, too. I'm sure Andy Ludwig is probably sitting down with him like, hey, Kyle, so what did we talk about in fourth down situations? Well, if they showed this, then we'd do that. So 
what did they show, Kyle? This. And if I'm Kyle Whittingham, like, so how many points did we score on that drive? Zero. Okay, don't effing do that ever again. <laughs> and don't you ever have that condescending voice with me ever again, Andy. <laughs> what kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle bells. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. <laughs> With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Joe Ingles. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is underway. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Joe, good morning. Hi. <laughs> Come on, Joe. You're 3-0. and You're playing well. You're winning games. How about a little more energy? Hi. <laughs> Come on. Hi, guys. This is awesome. <laughs> That's better. That's a little bit better. I can, I can live with that. I want to know right off the bat, when was the last time you got ejected from a game? Um, I don't think I ever have. Ever, um, huh? That was the first no. one. No, I don't think I ever have, so... At um, any level? No. <laughs> okay, so was there a level of surprise? It didn't look like it was an ejection-worthy, uh, but nevertheless, that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I understand the, the I guess, the reasoning behind it in terms of him being obviously in the air and um, obviously the full didn't look great <laughs> um he obviously was pretty high up and and i i spoke to him i've, I've spoken to him and he, he was very well aware that it wasn't on purpose and um he, he was okay obviously first and foremost which was the the main thing of of the concern but um yeah i was i mean i was trying to get out of his way once he once i saw he was lining up to, to try and dunk it that split second I try to kind of pull out and, and get out of the way and he, he kind of clipped the side of me and um, obviously had the fall so um, I for sure thought it was going to be a flag of one um, I don't know exactly what the words and terming, uh, terminology is but I didn't think it was that but Obviously, they, they yeah. make the call, and at the end of, I mean, it is what it is. We won the game, and, and again, obviously, I, I wanted to make sure he, he was okay, and, and he was, and um, someone actually sent me the clip after of him talking to the media, and he, he, he said that he knew I didn't do it on purpose and, and stuff like that. So that's all good. Um, it is what it is. We move on. Seemed like it was a letter of the law type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess the interesting part is you see different nights, things get called, certain ways or not certain ways. I mean, it does, like I said, it is what it is. Um, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I was hoping that he was okay because I think he grabbed his wrist or his, his elbow or something. Right. And 
um, obviously I had zero intentions to, to hurt the kids. Um, even though the rest of the game, he locked up our guy. <laughs> He's a yeah. hell of a defender. Yeah. Um, but he was okay. And that, that's the main thing. So, um, I'm glad we won. Um, but yeah, I won't be running back on transition defense anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Quinn can't wait to hear that. <laughs> That'll pump him up. <laughs> yeah, we just can't risk it, Quinn. I don't dare do it. So get a sense. You're right. The important stuff here is you won the game and he's okay. So now let's get to the more interesting, unimportant stuff. When you get kicked out really early in a game, in a road game, like what do you do? You're not at home. You can't go home. Do you just sit in the locker room and watch the game? Do they bring you the post-game spread at halftime? What do you do? Yeah, it's extremely boring. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, we. I mean, I walked back there, and um, obviously Rudy Gay was back there um, with him not playing at the moment, um, and it definitely helped me um, realize even more that I don't want to do any kind of video or scouting or anything because they were all just sitting there watching the game and obviously cutting up the film as it goes and. Um, we watch clips at halftime and, and sometimes after the game or guys want their clips on the plane to watch to the next the next city or whatever and they're all sitting back there like coding the game and doing all that so it's definitely a, <laughs> a clear cut thing that I am not doing that when I retire um, yeah I had some food had a shower um, <laughs> Smoke. obviously watched the, watched the game watched the, watched the game still um Call I your mean, wife. Yeah. I texted Renee. Yeah, Renee was texting me. I think Renee texted me. And she's actually listening right now, driving Jacob to school. But um, she texted me and was like, "All right, well, I'm going to go to bed because <laughs> I don't need to watch you." <laughs> yeah, she can get an early night. Um, yeah, it's not a. Uh, it's not ideal. I won't be uh, putting myself in a position to do that again. Well, then you come back against the Nuggets and you have that outrageously hard foul against Green. What's going on? Oh, my gosh. That's, that's so typical of Jeff flopping like that, too. I said to the referee, I've played with him long enough to know he was going to fall over then. But no, Jeff's my guy. I, he's genuinely one of my favorite people in the world. So three games in, and you've been through this so many times now. Is the uh, what? What is the level of urgency as far as getting better? I mean, I know you have to, and all that. You're you're beating some bad teams, or in the case of Denver, a team that's just incredibly shorthanded. Mary's out, and then Jokic goes out in the second quarter. That's like sixty-one million dollars worth of salary. And you guys are rolling. So is it? Are you able to create that urgency to get better when you're winning all the time? Oh, for sure. I think um, the the ease of it, I guess, is that we have. I, I guess we've we've played well in the regular season for, for a few years now, um, and figured out different things that that are good and, and things that we've struggled with. And then, obviously, in the playoffs, um, I mean, what's the furthest we've been is, is the second round. So the whole season, you're you're figuring things out and, and working on things that weren't good from the year before or, or years before. Um, I mean, obviously, we're not preparing for the playoffs now, but, but you're doing stuff and, and trying to get better at things to, to make sure you are playing well at that time of the year. Um, obviously, for us, 
the, the switching defense has always been something that teams go to and, and whoever wants to judge it, whether it be successful or we, we've played well against it sometimes and we've, we've sucked against it sometimes. And um, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously I didn't play the end, of, the, the end of Sacramento game, but watching it on TV, they went small with Harrison Barnes at the, the five and the guys did a hell of a job of, of beating it and, and defending too. I think we gave up like two or three points, two or four points or something like that in the last like three or four minutes of that game. And then last night, same thing with, with Jamai or both greens out there at certain times. Um, and we were able to, to, I think one of the, I said a post game with, with Locke, um, one of our things has been to, to realize when teams are switching and realize like that, maybe not that first possession, but even if it is that first possession, being able to execute what we want to execute because there was times last night that we we knew when they were going to switch or, or hedge and, and try and get back and we were able to get off the ball and move the ball and we got layup after layup. Um, Realizing defensively what we're trying to do when they when teams are small when when the bigs are popping or they're trying to get a certain matchup and I think we've done a good job obviously very small sample size in three games and the amount of minutes we've had to do that but I think overall it's been been good and um, it's something we've we've focused on so I think for the, throughout the course of the year there's going to be different times that we we need to be switched on I think that that urgency of just knowing what we want to do, being ready every game, knowing who we're playing, knowing when certain lineups are out there, how we want to play. Um, and I think, obviously, again, small sample size, but so far we've been pretty good at it. Yeah, for sure. And you individually look extremely comfortable coming off the bench. I can make an argument that it's the most comfortable you've looked since you've been in that role and you've bounced back forth between starting and coming off the bench. It looks like that's what it's going to be. And it looks like, as I say, you're very comfortable. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I feel um, maybe not surprising to me or Renee or my family, but to maybe to other people. But I feel I feel really good. I, I obviously confident out there. My body probably feels up there with the best it's felt. Um, I obviously went straight to the Olympics, but then had a good break and. Um, obviously didn't play the preseason and all that and, and probably at the time didn't know if that was a, a good thing or not but now looking back uh, obviously I played an extra 15 games in the summer so I had the legs of, of a game um, under me already and, and just needed to, to get a bit of a break and get away and um, yeah I just yeah I don't know I, I feel really good out there obviously the, the comfortableness that you're talking about is, is obviously for being here for so long and, and being my eighth season and, and knowing what Quint wants and, and what he expects and um, familiarity with playing with, with the guys I play with now. Um, obviously, Hassan and Eric are, are kind of new to that, that second unit with, with a few of us. But, um, yeah, I just feel uh, I feel really good. I, I Yeah, I don't know what else to, to say. I feel like, um, every year I've tried to get better or do something um, better or more efficient um, and I think I mean for me it, it's it's no different I'm going to go out there and play, play the way I play try to help us win and um, yeah see what happens at the end of the year Have you guys changed anything the way you're uh, doing anything that gets Rudy closer to the rim more often he's grabbing 19 rebounds a game and I know it's a small sample size but that's like 
50% more rebounds than he was getting before, and he was already a really good rebounder. So is there any explanation for that, or is it just one of those things that's happened over three games? I don't know. He's probably got a bonus in his contract or something this year <laughs> to get more rebounds. <laughs> nice. Um, no, I think, uh, again, like I was saying about myself, every, everybody goes away each year and tries to figure out something they can do better or something they can kind of, kind of help the team with or, or improve on. And, and like you said, his rebounding is not necessarily like it needed improving, but um, we know how good we are when we are, when we aren't obviously giving up offensive rebounds that we can get out and run. And um, I think probably not as much this year. I think Coach gave us a stat, which again, which is small sample size, but we were in the lower half of defensive rebounds. Um, to start this year off so um, Maruti's obviously a key to that Hassan's a key to getting them um, he, he protect, they both protect the rim and um, I think for all of us to lock in on like getting a hit and, and getting the rebound because we are so good in transition we, we get out and run Rudy's on the rim we've got shooters out there uh, it's an advantage for us so we have to it's something we have to lock in on throughout the year. And, and again, obviously, Rudy and Hassan are kind of the, the main pieces of that. So you talk about how you feel really good and it's as good as you felt. And, and Mike Conley was talking about how he did yoga to make sure that he's doing everything he can to make himself in prime physical condition. Have you done anything different? Do you have a method that has gotten you to this point to where you feel so good? Um, I actually did some Pilates last year when during kind of COVID once we were allowed to do things um, with Renee. Renee and I would go down to a local spot with our uh, with our girl Sammy and we we did it three times a week. I think that was something that, that did definitely really helped me. Um, and I think the kind of just getting away from basketball, like not, not just like running on the court or not just going and shooting every day and um, I think as you get older, you, you find different things to um, just kind of keep your body ticking over or, or things that you learn over time. Like we've talked about, as you get older, you learn what you can eat and drink and not take or whatever you, caffeine or how much you can have, or all, all these things that we um, think about as, as athletes to try and get the best out of us, whether it be um, me not playing preseason this year. Like I, I've never not done that. I've always played at least a couple of the games. And again, I was kind of nervous a little bit, just thinking I would be underdone, and, and obviously trusting um, the the medical staff to like, no, you'll be fine. You've played enough games. You've done enough running. You've done enough lifting. Um, and I think as you get older, you figure. I think one of the prime examples of that is is Joe Johnson. I, I still remember when he first got here and obviously he was um, at the end of his career when, when we got him but he did hot yoga every game day and obviously that's not for everybody because it's kind of dehydrating as well if you don't drink enough fluids and all that but that was what he did and he loved it and it was good for his body and he would do that before our shoot rounds um, so it's just, just as you get older I think different things and, and different people find things and um I haven't done much different this year, obviously with the, the turnaround of time just because of the Olympics and, and obviously kind of getting back and spending some time with Renee and the kids and then it was kind of, we were right back into it. But um, I think a part of it as well, sorry for the, the long answer, but um, it's just being, being home, being 
comfortable and settled at home and the, the kids and, and Renee and, and everything, um, I guess, away from basketball is, is, is in a really good spot. The kids are really happy. Jacob's dominating therapy. Jack's 11 months and nearly walking and, and Renee's in a good spot with um, kind of a good group of friends now here over the time. And um, for me, that's obviously very settling to, to have that. So, um, yeah, it's just all, all around things are, things are good. Yeah, the American way of life really is good, Joe. I'm glad you've seen it. No, it's our Australian um, <laughs> culture we have in our household. Still resisting. Jeez, <laughs> after all these years. And yet he's raising got, a president, so, yeah, you know. An American one. ties to him. No, we already cut his passport up. He's only got an Australian one now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh you are you are mixing a little Australian and American culture here. You got a luncheon coming up. What is going on here? How do people get involved? What's the deal? Explain it to us. We do. Um, obviously, everyone that's followed us and, and Jacob's journey um, and what we tried or have tried to, to raise awareness for and, and, and funding. Obviously, um, we are on the board of Culture City, who do amazing things in, in this space. And um, November November twelfth. Um, we have a luncheon at the Grand America Hotel. Um, it's 11 o'clock till 2 o'clock. Um, entertainment, some talks, obviously the, the, the money from the tickets and tables that are available and, and some sponsorships um, is being 100% donated to, to raising awareness and, and obviously the funding of, of families and stuff that need it, sensory rooms that are needed. Um, yeah, there's some, some pretty cool guests coming. Um, there is still tickets available, which is um, we want it to be sold out. So I, I'm going to tweet the link today. Um, I'll I'll put it up on my, my social media today, but there, there's tickets available. We'd love people to come. Um, hopefully Quinn doesn't put practice on that day because I'll have to miss it. Um, but no, it's just a... Like I said, it's obviously something we're extremely passionate about. We went to the, the Culture City Ball um, in Alabama this summer. And you just, when you're around these people, um, you realize how much good they're doing. And, and we're trying to do everything in our power to, to assist with that. And um, there's some pretty uh, wealthy people here in Utah now. So we'd love <laughs> them all to come and um, be a couple of things uh, auctioned off or, or given away on the day. And, um, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll post the, the link on my social media um, today, and, and Renee does all the time. And um, yeah, if anyone can come, we, we'd love you to be there. So Surely twelve eighty can buy a table. Well, for sure. Yeah, I mean DJ with all the money he's making with the two jobs, no question about it. Uh, November twelfth at the Grand American. Yes, tell your boss. Yeah, tell your boss, DJ. I will tell my boss. <laughs> All right, Joe, we'll look for that on social media and uh, put it out there and uh, tag us and we'll probably retweet it because we know you because you've done our show for eight years. You've done my show. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're consistent. Yes, yes. You got to give him that, man. All right. All right. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, guys. Joe Ingles joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is a weird deal. Donovan Mitchell joked about it in the post game, although it needs to stop. Two ejections in three games. On pace for a record. Weak. I know, there was nothing to that one last night. I thought, I didn't even think it was going to be a double technical. And I didn't think either guy would get kicked out. I think 
They're going to give Green a tech. They stopped the game. The refs ran over. They're going to do okay, it. Okay, fine. Shoot a free throw. I know. And then, then they were bringing up the broadcast. This could be double technicals. And I thought, well, they, they are getting oh, tired okay. with this stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah, they're getting tired with this stuff. And then, boom, boom. Ejection, you're both gone. Yeah. And the only thing I can think of on the Sacramento thing with Joe is it was the letter of the law. That's, yeah. That's the only thing I can and think protect, of. And protect, I think what Joe said is right. Protect guys who are in the air. Okay, but I'm talking about the ejection. Mm-hmm. I, I, but we all agree, protect guys that are in the air. Right. But it's clear he was trying to get out of the way. But because there was contact while the yep. player Any, was in the air, in the I air, guess, and he's that's, vulnerable. That's the, yep. that's the letter. Right. But it was almost like it was an accident. I know. Yeah. And it was like, uh, from one angle, it looked like if his foot hadn't clipped Joe's hip, he wouldn't hit the ground. Because Joe's right. The landing looked bad. If his foot doesn't clip Joe's hip... He's a pro athlete. He's not going to hit the ground that awkwardly and that hard. Even if he lands and slides. He might land on his feet, and he might land and slide, but he wouldn't hit the ground out of control. And I think what was indicative about how it was uh, in, almost like incidental contact is nobody on the other team got aggressive. Right. Yeah, well, they got more aggressive after the words in the Nuggets game than after the fall in the Sacramento game. It's also early in the season, and we've seen them really enforce stuff, set the tone for the whole year letter. And then after 20 games, it seems like that kind of stuff fades away. And they always pick out a few things to I do every year. I think those are rules, though. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think they're it'll, it'll be interesting to see if anything like this happens in game 30 or 40, or anything like the, the whatever. The, I don't even know what to call that in the Nuggets game. It wasn't a fight. Uh, the a, disagreement? A brief skirmish. A brief skirmish. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see in Game 40 if if two guys are getting kicked out for that. I wonder how much of it was just it's the first three games of the year and everybody's real dialed in, and later on they'll be letting a little bit of stuff slide. I, I, don't, and I don't think it's the referees who let anything slide. I mean, I think it comes from above. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz pick up another win, three in a row to open the season. What does it say? Love it when that question comes out post game. What does it say about the Jazz? We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return home to the friendly confines of Rice-Eccles Stadium for a key Pac-12 South Division battle against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's a win tickets Wednesday. Caller 12 right now. We'll win two tickets to see country artist Brett Eldridge at the Complex this Saturday, October 30th. Tickets are available at vividseats.com and it's sponsored by Live Nation. You want to sing it, PK? No. You're bouncing. Yeah, I mean, they play this tune on the radio. I'm not a huge Brett Eldridge guy, but I know this turn tune, I should say, because it's played on the radio a fair amount. DJ PK, it is time to answer the question, what does it say? Our favorite postgame question. What does it say that the Jazz beat Denver? Go Kook says not much. 
No win against conference rival is always meaningful, especially in the season. Now, when every win matters more. Wow, it's even more so. It's division rivals. <laughs> it is. You love to bring up the divisions. But it's a division rival. Argue with me. Go ahead. I dare you. There is so little at stake in NBA divisions. There's so little at stake in basketball games if you want to break it down. Come on. People are dying. And you're worried about a basketball game? Of course, if you want to go down that road, where do you stop? That's why I don't go down that road. It's a division game, and we punked them. Nothing, really. It was good to get this win, but they didn't defend or move the ball well for most of the game. Playoff bogey says. It's only game three. There's lots of work to do. Is there really lots of work to do? This team is such a veteran team, and it's such a team that has such continuity. Is there, There's work ahead of them, but is it more or different work in that they need to change and really get better? You see what I'm saying? I think watching the games, the thing I felt is when one of the new players in is in, whoever it is, the offense doesn't flow quite right. Not always because of the new guy, because but often. I think we know what it looks like when the offense looks good. Now, some of it was Donovan Mitchell trying to split double teams and turn the ball over, and that didn't have anything to do with new guys. So I think the biggest thing I'm looking at is the new guys getting the offense down pat so they're making the right decision split second. Yeah, but you would have said that six weeks ago. Right, but that's you, all it is. because You didn't there have isn't, to look at games to yeah. come to that conclusion. But there isn't a lot to do, so that's the conclusion I come to. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So that's the obvious default conclusion, as everybody does in sports. And you got to give them different looks and defensively, and you got to jump out to a quick start. It's all. It's like it's it's cliche. It's like you could. It's so predictable that that's what everyone would say. But it's very little. You look at the Lakers. Westbrook is the square peg, but LeBron's out, and he's not the square peg. So they got to figure that out. And they got plenty of time, but will they figure it out? Will Westbrook ever be Westbrook with LeBron and Anthony Davis? The Westbrook that we have known for years. Looks like the answer is no. I think the easy answer is to say no because he's not really built to defer. He's an aggressive player who's at his best with the ball in his hands, especially in transition. So they're going to have to figure that out. But when he has to throw the ball to LeBron and go to the other side of the court, that's what you need in complementary players around LeBron. But that's not what that's right. But that's not what Westbrook does. Right, and they knew that going in. It's no surprise. So is that all going to mesh? So their task is imminently much more difficult and even important. Than what the Jazz do, we're not going to really see anything until Gay is ready to go. That's like the only intrigue left, and we're only in the third game, which I think is a great spot to be in. Doesn't mean they're going to win it all or win the title. I don't know that. Hope that, but I don't know that. But we can't know that now, and that's the one thing left to know. The but other they question have such been continuity. Yes, and they're really good. They're much better than the bottom of the league, and I suspect they're significantly better than the middle of the league. They haven't really played the middle of the league. I don't think Denver's the middle of the league. Denver's too good to be the middle of the league. They haven't played the middle of the league yet. 
Well, they're better than the middle of the league. You need to see that. I don't. Significantly better, though. There's going to be yes. easy to beat those teams. Uh, well, there it's, was it's certainly hoops. you play 82 yeah. uh, on any given night, somebody can beat you. Sure. But didn't you feel like these last couple games, they're waiting to get to the fourth quarter, turn it on, and win the game? Well, once Jokic goes out, yes. Yeah. If he was still playing, he was on a furious pace. From a competition standpoint, I would have loved to see him play, uh, especially if I had paid money to come to this game. I it watched was, it on television, but if I was here, I, w- I yeah. would have been extremely disappointed. He wasn't off to a good start. He was off to a great that, start. And it would have been disappointing to me that I, I – and it's nothing that you can do. I mean, he didn't want to. He came out and – not Mike, Michael Malone had to go up to him and say, no, Don't we're, not, do that. we're not going. We're not doing this. So clearly he wanted to play, obviously. So uh, you, once that situation was there, I thought, okay, now just basically it was to the Jazz, don't blow this. And they didn't. And they didn't. It's a one-point game going to the fourth quarter, and they, they opened it up to double digits, and that was that. But even Whiteside, who has a significant role and is new, uh, it's like, all right, your role is defined here. You know what to do. Now go do it. Football Friday presented by Stonehaven Dental at Stonehaven Dental. They say yes, yes to free exams and x-rays for new patients and flexible opponents. Say yes to great dental care. Visit StonehavenDental.com to schedule an appointment.